That's all? That's all? Perfect. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. I can hear myself now. Perfect. Welcome to, I think it's Plaid Dead East Rock. Most of our guys got the message. Um, some of you didn't. Shame on you guys. No, not really. It's just like we walked in there and was like, hey, everybody's wearing plaid. Um, we're going to be in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 if you want to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, we're continuing the series in Fruitful Disciple, and I'm excited about this series. Uh, if you want to catch up on this series, if you're behind want to know a little bit more about it. Um, it's good to see you, man, and all those little kids. Uh, if you want to catch up with this series, uh, the East Rock ones are, uh, the sermons that we are preaching are posted on our Facebook page. Other ways you can get them if you want to find those and can't find them, message Shannon. Uh, the other way you can get some of these ideas, Tim is doing a new blog, which I don't know if it's very new anymore, but Shannon and Andrew and Steve are helping him get it together, and he's doing this series on his little block spot thing, so you can, not block spot, it's, um, you can get it on Spotify, you can get it on Apple Music or Podcasts, you can get it on a, a bunch of different ways. Any way that you get podcasts, you can go catch Tim Bose's podcast and go through this Fruitful Disciple series and get a lot more teaching from him. Um, I don't know if we understand what a blessing it is to have his teaching uh, easily available to us, so thanks, thank you, Tim, for that. So we are in this ambassador series. And went too far. So we're going to read the verse today. It's out of, and our main idea, this word ambassador in our Fruitful Disciples series comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And it reads like this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church like I did, you hear the word ambassador like me, I think royal ambassadors. Anybody here involved in royal ambassadors in the past? It's not every church. There's a handful of us. So the royal ambassadors is their program. This is where they get the name from, and it says it right there on the bottom of it. That's what I think about with royal ambassadors. So this word ambassador is a strong word, and a lot of people try to use it because it's a strong word. That's the name of a, an ambassador car. And my favorite logo was the one with wings. That's a motorcycle named ambassador. That is a sweet logo. Everything from wine tasting to real estate to computer magazines, computer companies, they're all using this word ambassador because this word ambassador is a very strong word. It's a great word. We want to get into it a little bit tonight so we can understand a little bit. But my favorite idea of ambassador is, yes, anybody play the sequence board game? Fantastic board game. My, my, that, where does ambassador fit with sequence that game? If you look closely at it on the box, you'll see it's, Recommended by Bill Barrett. If anybody ever noticed the box, Bill Barrett is the guy who went around telling a bunch of people about this game when it was first coming on. He's like, hey, Bill Barrett, is that the congressman, the Republican congressman from the 90s? No, it is not. Bill Barrett is some random dude who played sequence and liked it. Who is Bill Barrett? He is the guy who went around telling everybody about this game sequence. Why? Because he liked it. And he enjoyed playing it. And so as the next edition came in the game, they put his name on the box. Because he went around telling everybody about the game, promoting the game, though he really wasn't the one who invented it or was making money off of it. He just loved it, so he told everybody about it. Hilarious to me. So they put his name on the box. He's the representative of sequence going around telling people about it. All right, so what are some better examples of ambassador? Let's look at the dictionary version. It says this. Um... An accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. We've heard of ambassadors 
that are representing countries and their interests between different governments. Uh, the next definition it says is a person who acts as a representative or promoter of a specified activity. So basically, you're going around telling people about what you are a representative of. That's what an ambassador does. So we look at this verse again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says, therefore. Uh, Tim and I shared a pastor years ago, and he always says, if you see a therefore, look back and see what it's there for. It's there for a reason. It's letting you know that I am summarizing a whole lot more of what we just said and giving you the main point, something Andrew loves to do. Look, this is it. Boil it down. Whatever, whatever key word you give for is that. But he's summing it down, but Scripture, you need context. So looking at this idea of the word ambassador in 2 Corinthians, let's, let's take a step back and see uh, the, the, uh, the better context of it from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, so we hit another therefore. We didn't make it far, now we're at therefore again. So what is the therefore talking about in 2 Corinthians 5? Basically, this therefore in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11 is basically summarizing all of the beginning of 2 Corinthians verse chapter 1 through 5, where we're at right here. And what he's basically summarizing and telling us is that, hey guys, look, we trust in Jesus. And because we trust in Jesus, we know the comfort that he offers. We are walking in his comfort. This is the first section of 2 Corinthians 1. We're walking in the comfort that he's given. And look, because we have that comfort and know how great that comfort is, we can offer this comfort to other people. We can offer this comfort to other people also. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in, uh, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I did it without singing it, Andrew. So the first point we're going to talk about tonight is that it's out with the old and in with the new. It's out with the old and in with the new. And this is a fantastic point of the gospel. This is a part of the gospel that everybody 
loves and loves to wrap their mind around because people come to God or people in general are loaded down with a lot of baggage. Life has been tough to a lot of people. A lot of people have made dumb decisions and they, don't, they are not proud of who they once were. And man, when people see that and they get to the spot where they're fed up with themselves, they don't like the, the consequences that are coming from what they've been doing for their whole life. They've seen the destruction of, of the broken relationships over the time. They've seen all the negative things that have come from all of their bad decisions. And they're, man, they're disgusted with who they were. And the hope of the gospel is this, is that you no longer have to be defined by that anymore. That is an appealing thing to everybody. Why are we so crazy about New Year's every single year? Because it feels like a chance that everybody's given to each other to start over. Man, we love new starts. We, we, we hate the baggage that we were, and we're like, man, you know what? Now is the time for us to change. So this idea of being gone with the old, how many of us would love it that if nobody would ever count against us the old dumb decisions that we've made? How appealing is that? That says, I will no longer look at you as the person who did these things, but I'll look at you as something completely new. That's an attractive point of the gospel. That's a hope that is there that is so encouraging to everybody. It's so encouraging. But it's a two-part thing. It's out with the old and in with the new. So we're not just leaving down who we were. We're taking on a brand new identity. And this is the part that's lost a lot of times. The pill there is that I can lay everything that I once was down. Great. Yes, you can lay that down, free your arms up to pick up this new load. You can stop being who you were and be a transformed person. So what a lot of people have done is they're like, you know, I'm fed of who I once was. Let me leave that alone. But they never, as believers, take on the newness of this life in Christ. They never receive this new life and let it consume them. And so what it leaves a lot of believers as is broken. And they feel into So they're like, yeah, I'm not who I once was, but now I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know who I am anymore. And so we get to this spot where they're struggling to find this fullness of life that Jesus talks about. They're struggling to find this peace that Jesus talks about. And a lot of reasons that we suffer is because we don't know the fullness of life with God. They don't know the fullness of what our identity and our purpose is. What we are is ambassadors. We are an ambassador. And what we have to do is to know our identity and our purpose. We have to understand what our identity and purpose is in Christ. When I worked at a camp, we had this awesome goat. This goat's name was Doris. And this pointless, worthless goat used to hang around camp all the time. And uh, Doris was out in the field with a whole bunch of horses. So guess what Doris acted like? A horse. So this goat could go anywhere it wanted to go at any point of time, and it always stayed with the horses. So what you're seeing right here is the pen where we would, we would put the horses on to take care of them. So the horses had a lot of acres to run around in. They let the horses go out into the acres, and they would, the goat would follow them. They'd bring all the horses back in. They'd go into this pen. They would shut it, and they would kick Doris out of the pen. But Doris was a dumb, small goat, and it would just slide right between the slats and get right up in the middle of the horses. And it would jump up on top of this little tile for horses so it could stand nose to nose with horses. All right, so the horses did not like to be uh, kept up in a little small area because who, what do you want, a very, like a, a small area about half the size of this room or smaller versus hundreds of acres? 
Well, of course the horse is one of the hundreds of acres. And the goat always had accesses, access to the hundred acres. But when the horses went into this little pen, the goat would go in there with it. And the goat would not go out until the horses were able to go out. The goat had a freedom that he refused to walk in because he was taking up an identity with the horses. And he took up the pattern of the horses. And if the horses didn't do it, the goat didn't do it. It wasn't living in the freedom that it had because it was assuming the identity of something that it wasn't. We have to know who we are. We need to know our identity and we need to know our purpose. And the Scripture is full of this information of who we are in Christ and what that means. I will not cover all of them tonight, but we are going to look at a few that this passage presents. Number one, the thing that we are is reconciled with God. We are made right with God. I was actually having a conversation uh, with some, uh, I think I have fourth graders at, at club right now. I can't, there are fourth or fifth grade girls, and so I'm, one of the leaders moved away, so I'm taking over this little group, and, and we were hanging out talking about this idea of reconciliation, and, and uh, the example that I used for them, I was, when I was in, I think I was in second grade, I was in, I think, Miss Compton's class, and we were in one of those little trailers behind Oak Lane when, before they had added on the new building to it. And I had a girlfriend, and my best friend, Drew Strader, took my girlfriend from me. Dirty. Dirty. I threatened him. I threatened to shoot him in his eye with my brother's BB gun. <laughs> Number one, I just really wasn't that good of a shot. <laughs> if I got my hands on that gun and tried to shoot him, I would have missed Number two, I wasn't even allowed to play with or knew where the gun was. Empty threats never would have happened. Man, that was a problem between me and Drew. We had a beef. He stole my girl. It's my first girlfriend. He took her. My best friend, he did me dirty. Drew, if you ever hear this, I'm still mad at you. Not really. So he took my girl. There was a problem between Drew and me. There was a problem between us. And before, if we were going to be friends again, what needed to happen was we had to be reconciled together. Something had to happen to make our relationship right again. And in second grade, he broke up with her, and it was probably over at that point. It wasn't a big need for, for there, but the cross, our sin, is a much bigger problem. Our sin against God is a much bigger problem. We have to be reconciled. And the good news of the gospel is that we are made right with God. We are reconciled with God. Why is this so important? Because we know where our standing is. We don't have to question, is God okay with me? You know one of the biggest differences? And I was, when I went to Turkey years ago, and I was talking to a former Muslim who was now a Christian, and one of the biggest differences in, in Islam and Christianity to him was that in Islam, there was no, no way to know if you were right with God. God is out there, and so you have to do more good than bad, and you never know what your standing is with God until the very end. Scripture is very clear that as a believer, you are now right with God and you can be confident in your standing with God. A lot of us have known somebody like that, but we never knew where we stood with them. You always had to walk up to them on eggshells because where are we at in our relationship right now? We've heard a lot of people talk about growing up with parents that were tough because we never know how they were going to behave or we never knew what the relationship kind of, where we stood at. And as a believer, as somebody who was trusted in Christ, we know that we are okay with God, and we don't have to keep questioning our standing before Him. That's a very awesome place to be. 
And I don't know if a lot of us understand the significance of that. We know we are in good standing with God. And as we are in good standing with God, he invites us to become a minister of reconciliation. So when we don't deserve to call God by name, he says, I want you to now go out to the streets and proclaim my name to everybody. And we see his, gracious, we see his graciousness in that. We see his goodness in that. He calls us to become a persuader. That we, Tim calls it a persuaded persuader. We have been persuaded by the gospel. We have taken on the belief of the gospel, and now we get to make that our call to the world. A persuaded persuader. We are beside ourselves. One of my friends on Facebook the other day uh, basically was like, man, these, some people take religion too far. He is adamantly uh, not religious. I don't know if he would say there's some higher being or not. Um, you can tell it's part of his background, but he's just like, man, some people will be taking this thing too far. And I look at it and go, man, you can't take it far enough. You either believe this goodness of the gospel or you don't. You've either accepted this new identity or you haven't taken it on. If you have accepted this new identity, there is no depth you can go that is too far. If we read Scripture and believe what the gospel tells us, believe what God's word tells us, you can't take it too far. It is a brand new identity. You are a creation. You are a new creation with one purpose. You are a new creation with one purpose. We were beside ourselves. It means that... We're crazy is what it's basically getting at. We seem crazy to the world because they just don't get it. It tells us that we are, we are controlled or compelled by the love of Christ, depending on the translation and how that word reads. We are compelled by Christ. So all of our new act, what's motivating you? Have you ever met somebody who was, just kept doing dumb things over and over, and you're like, man, why do you keep doing that? <laughs> what is your motivation for your actions right now? I see your actions, and I don't know what's pushing them. Why do you keep doing the same dumb things over and over? When I was working with the high school students, I used to, like, I would, I'd work with some kids that got in trouble. And there was one kid, I was like, man, what do you want to do several years from now? I want to be a vet. And a kid is now locked up, and, or in and out of lockup all the time. I'm not, I haven't spoken to him in a couple years, and, uh, but he's in and out. But what do you want to do? I want to be a vet when I grow up. I love animals. Which ones did you work with? The only ones I work with a lot now are dogs because that's the only ones that I can be around. It's just in his lifestyle, there wasn't other, any other animals around, really. I was like, man, what your decision that you're doing right now, because you stayed in trouble at school, a lot of times really small stuff, and they got bigger and worse. I'm like, you know, if you want to be a vet years from now, you're going to have to go to school, you're going to have to get good grades, you're going to have to do this, this, and this to get there, but all of your actions do not point to that being a reality. What's motivating you to do what you do? What's pushing you? What's compelling you? So if I look at your life, what it really looks like is that you're compelled to be accepted by your friends who make a whole bunch of dumb decisions. What's compelling you is other people's approval of who you are. And as a Christian, what's compelling us is the love of Christ. What's motivating us in every decision that we make is the love of Christ. Why don't we go out and splurge all of our money on something silly and why don't we give it to a missionary instead? In a place halfway around the world that we might not ever see. Because the love of Christ compels us. Why don't we deny ourselves for things that we want so that we can give things away? Because the love of Christ compels us. It drives us to do things that the world would say does not make sense. 
but we're compelled by the love of Christ. All right, I'm going to skip the last two and not give all of it, but man, it means that we start living for Him and living for His glory, not our own. And He, he calls us righteous. And that idea of righteous is not that we are perfect, not that we are righteous, but He gives us, He imputes Christ's righteousness onto us. So that when God looks at us, He doesn't see us, but He sees the righteousness of Jesus instead of us. Man, that one right there I can preach on by itself for a long time. A lot of believers are having an identity crisis. And we can't enjoy the peace of God because we're living, we're living away from the mission that God has called us to. God is saying, you will find joy and hope and peace in me. And we're sitting around living going, man, I need the right job. I need the right paycheck. I need the right stuff. I need the right things to make me whole and complete. And God is looking at us saying, hey, all of that is dead and I've made you a new creation. Walk in this newness of life. And we're still trying to find the hope, joy, and satisfaction in things and not in the gospel. Psalm 42 tells us that as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Whom shall I appear before? I forget how the last part goes. When shall I come and appear? Our soul is longing for God. It is what we were made for, and nothing will satisfy us apart from God. Nothing will satisfy us apart from God. And God is saying, hey, I gave you this great life. You messed it up. I made us reconcile back together. That's the work that I did. Now walk in this new life, and we still try to walk in the old life. Wondering, God, where's your peace at? God, where, why are bad things happening? God, why won't these things go right? God, why can't this work out? It's because we're living in an old life, not living as a new creation, and we expect the benefits of the new creation. Those things don't go together. Take up a new call. Take up the call that you have as an ambassador if you are seeking an eternal fulfillment. Take up the call of the ambassador and take on that new lifestyle and preach Christ until you die. Because that is what we are called to do. Do we understand the depth of that? Scripture is full of this idea. My favorite in Peter says that we are we're ministers. We are called to uh, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. We have been rescued from death, separation from God, and an eternity of hell, and given this new life. We're given this comfort that we don't have to be defined by our past, and God is saying, I will make you new and whole again. Now walk in this whole, whole life, walk in this fullness, walk in this new reality. And we sit around wondering about if we're going to keep a good job that's going to pay the bills for all the things that we have. We spend time, I spend time planning out my white picket fence dreams and getting that stuff how I want it to be. It doesn't matter if your dreams of those worldliness and nature looks different than somebody else's. Well, I'm not spending a million dollars on a brand new house. Okay, that's not what was asked. It's not a comparison to somebody else's thing. It's a comparison to the job that God has given us, and if we walk in that. And it's all going to look different for everybody. 
So it's not a comparison of, well, I do more good than bad, or I tell more people about Jesus than that person does. There's no comparison there. The comparison is that you wholeheartedly take up the calling that God has put on your life. So as a minister, as my job, I probably have higher numbers than a lot of other people do because that's what I get paid to do. So my numbers of telling people should be higher, but it doesn't change the significance of the mission that you've been given if your numbers don't match it. What I'm talking about, Shannon, I'm going to use you as an example because you're a friend in my life together group and I don't care. Um, and Shannon, you're not running across the same amount of people that I'm running across on a day-to-day basis. Like, so the opportunities that I have are higher in number yet not greater than the opportunities that you have. So Shannon works at Duke and he works on computers. Um, and so he's got a team around him and he's got people that he sees and his calling is to be faithful to that mission field. His calling is to be faithful to the family that God has put around you. And, and numbers in that doesn't matter. Faithfulness to the mission is what matters. So you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. You have to compare yourself to the mission that God has given you. And are you being a responsible ambassador to the people that are right there around you? Or are you ignoring them because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes that's how I feel like I am. Is that, man, if I get involved with this person, it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. One of my mission fields I know right now is my younger brother. And uh, it's messy. It's messy. And we had a conversation, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday this week, and we were having lunch, and, and he made a comment. I'm like, yeah, that's not true. And uh, he was, you know, my brother doesn't have a lot of money. He struggles with being poor, um, barely paying his bills, uh, disabled, can't have a job. I mean, it's just a messy situation. And um, it basically, he commented on something about uh, happiness and money kind of going together. I'm like, yeah, that's not true. Yes, it is, but blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not. And it's one of the first times in a while that I've called him on some of the dumb excuses that he's using to keep him in the same spot that he is in. I think right now, if, uh, you, if I had to compare him to somebody, it would be where Jesus met the guy at the well, and he looked at him and said, do you want to be healed? I think he's in a spot where he, likes, he doesn't really want healing. He wants to be bitter in the situation that he's in. And I hope that's not the case, but that's what it seems like right now. And so when he was using one of those excuses, I wanted to take it away from him, going, you can't, you can't use that because it's just not a reality. There are billions of people in this world who have infinitely less money than you do and still live a happy life. You can't tie those two things together. And I said, man, I know I don't live the life that you live and live in the situation that you live in, but I know for a fact that those things aren't together. And it, it, even that short conversation when I tried to have it, he shut down just, just like that. He wouldn't receive what I had to say. Um, he's like, it's a theoretical argument, doesn't matter. I'm like, well, there's some reality tied to it too that's factual. And so this, that one comment and, and my rebuttal, that might be in theory, but there's a reality behind it that you can back up. So I had to try to have this conversation with him, and it just, she shut it down and wouldn't let it go anywhere. When we, when we get involved in people's lives, especially people who don't know Christ, there is a lot of mess that comes with it. And as you invite people into your life, it can get very messy. It can get very messy. It can be a big headache. But it doesn't change our calling as an ambassador. We take that on seriously. As a believer, we have to know our identity. We have to know our purpose. Lastly, 
The fear of the Lord is a great motivator. The fear of the Lord is a great motivator. I want to back up one thing and say one more thing about the uh, ambassador calling and knowing our identity and purpose. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience. God knows who we are, and we're seeking out what we are. So God already knows our standing with Him. We are that. That's not going to change it. Somebody who's reconciled to God, that's a known fact by God. And we're searching that out to know that that's a reality for our life. So a lot of who we are is a fact before God, and we're doubting those facts. Don't live in that reality where we're denying what God has said to be true. All right, now, the fear of the Lord is a great motivator. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The fear of the Lord tells us what to do. So this idea of fear of the Lord is, is big in Scripture. I'm going to say that again. It's said a lot of times in Scripture. Uh, one thing that I read was saying that the word fear used in, in reference to God in the Bible is said more than 300 times. So I started looking out. How many times does it use that phrase, the fear of the Lord? And it's at least 30 times. And it could be a lot more. I was starting to look into it. Man, it's a, it's a big idea. It really is massive. So spend some time this week if you want looking up this idea of fear of the Lord. There's a website you can go to called openbible.info, and you can go to backslash topics and type in fear of the Lord, and it'll tell you a lot of the spots where that terminology is used. You can go use open Bible, or Blue Letter Bible if you want to. There's several places to start digging into this idea of the fear of the Lord. So it's used minimum 300 times using fear of the Lord, connecting to God, and it's used at least 30 times where that single phrase is used. And a lot of people look at that and they see it as something that's bang of fear is a bad thing. I don't know if we, but if you look at how Scripture uses fear of the Lord, it's a good thing. It's a great thing that we should fear God. Um, it's a great thing that we should fear God. Another phrase that people use sometimes, like, that's a God-fearing man. What they mean is that the way he lives his life is in response to who God is. It's a, uh, living a good living a positive way. So we have to take our mind away that fear is a bad thing in this context. What does the fear of the Lord mean? I think it means it's, it's a big picture. One of the things that I love to think about uh, is that, and the way this is described by times, is that this fear is talking about a reverent fear. It's a right knowledge of who God is, and we respond rightly to Him. An example of that is fire. Anybody ever been burned by fire? Yeah. Oh, man, Tim raised his hand. I forgot. Tim got burned by grease. Uh, anybody ever heard him tell that story? Yeah, I was the one right there beside him when it happened, and I was the one pouring water over his hand. And I'm like, Tim, tell me a story. He's like, it's your turn to tell a story right now, because he couldn't think straight, and I'm sitting there pouring water over his hand. I'm about to cry, because it's like, if I stop pouring water to cool his hand down, he, he'd start, I'm, I'm, I forgot, I'm going to keep going. Uh, it was crazy. He got burned. It was pretty serious. Um, so, you know, home, home, homeboy doesn't play around with grease anymore. If he does, he's smart about it. He doesn't. When you understand the power something has, you hold it responsible. You treat it responsibly. You don't start a fire in the middle of your living room because you'll burn your house down. You use the fireplace that's made for it. So when you understand how powerful something is, you treat it with respect. That's a fear of the Lord in that moment. So you understand God's power. You treat it right. I think if you do a study of holiness, it leads you to the same conclusion. We understand God's holiness, so we don't approach him in a haphazard way. 
God is holy, not common. So we don't approach him as something that's common. Psalm 128 says, uh, compares the fear of the Lord as somebody who's walking in God's ways. Because they understand. I read several definitions of it. And the one that I landed on that I liked was this right here. This is out of, from the Blue Letter Bible. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the knowledge of God himself. When you fear God, you have decided that knowing God is more important than everything else in life. Ultimately, the fear of the Lord is understanding that life is about him, and we ultimately answer to him in everything. He is the one who set up life to work the way that it works. So we come into agreement with him on how things operate, and it sets us up to think right. That's why wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a great motivator. I think it's a double-edged sword here. It should bring comfort, and it should bring a bit of respect. It should bring a little bit of trepidation. It should bring a little bit of, hmm, I better do this right. Knowing that you were going to get in trouble when you came home because you didn't do what your parents told you to do, motivated you to do what was right. It's the same thing with God. The consequences of disobeying God. And while we want to have a picture that God is all sunshine and flowers, it's not always that way. Because he's serious about a lot of things, mainly his glory. Fear of Lord should give us great comfort while at the same time going, act right. Do what you're supposed to do. And nothing else, go home and look up fear of the Lord and part of what it means so that your hearts will be comforted. Not so that you'll be scared, but so that your hearts would be comforted and that you would act right. And that you would do what you're supposed to do. That you would do what God has called you to do. Because a lot of times we treat God and the things that he gives us as an optional call. This new life that we're called to, believer, make no state about it. Make no mistake about it. It's not a suggestion. It's the calling of the new life. And if we are in new life, this is what we're called to do. To be an ambassador. And we can't lay down the role of the ambassador to make his glory known across the world. But don't be confused and understand, and don't understand, not understand that this is a privilege. It's an honor that we're given this. It's grace that we're given this, this ability to proclaim him, to say his name, to call on him, Abba, Father. It's a beautiful blessing to be able to do it, and it's a blessing to turn around to a hopeless world and say, there's hope! There's hope in the gospel! And it's a great joy that comes from that, because as we do that, the more we proclaim it, the more we believe it. The more we tell people about it, the more fully we understand what it is and how we can enjoy that life. But a lot of us don't share that with the people around us because we have more fear of them and what they might do or say than we do of God. The fear of the Lord is a great motivator. Our calling is to be a fruitful disciple. 
as we go through this series, what we want to do is what does it mean and what does it look like for us to be a fruitful disciple? Tim, Casey, and I as pastors are not called to be the fruitful disciple. Andrew, our, our worship leader, he's not the one called to be a fruitful disciple. The believer is called to be a fruitful disciple. And whatever platform you have, use it to proclaim God's goodness to them. Whoever it is that's in front of you, you don't have to run out and search for a brand new mission field. Your mission field comes with your life. And whatever job that you have and whatever position that you're in, that's your mission field. Proclaim God's goodness. Whatever that might look like. I think my wife is an amazing example of this. Um, she'll sit around with our kids and in the shower, in the bathtub, they say dumb things. And she uses that to describe God's goodness to them. When they're annoying for the 9,000th time, 9,000th time, 90,000th time, they don't stop. It's a whole bunch of them in my house. My house is like playing a game of whack-a-mole every time we turn around. In, in, in most situations, she's not perfect, not everyone, but in a lot of situations, you'll see her turn the kids' hearts to God and his desires and his, his, his uh, statutes, his rules. And you'll sit over and again when we're tired and don't feel like doing it, and when I don't feel like doing it, she'll take it up. And her mission field isn't Person County Schools like mine is. Her main mission field is the four little carvers running around. And she's taking it seriously. And she's a faithful, uh, faithful ambassador to the ones that are around her. And she has other mission fields, too. She does other things and stands inside her house, but that's her biggest mission field. And I admire the way that she takes that one up. We all have a mission field around us. And God's called us to be his ambassador. A privilege that we get to do, but something, but something serious that we need to take on. Not a, not a job to be taken lightly. Let's pray. God, we praise you for our salvation. We praise you that we are reconciled with you and we have a good standing with you. And not because of anything that we have done, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Father, we praise you. God, tonight we stand before you hearing our mission that we are called to be an ambassador here on this world, here in this earth. You've given us this weighty job that goes against our old nature and it's tied to being a new creation in you. So God, help us to take it seriously. Help us to be motivated. Help us to respond to you in everything that we do. And we pray. Amen.